You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Radiant Church and happy Labor Day weekend. So glad that you are a part of this church and you're visiting here. My name is Marco and I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Again, thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. Listen, um, next week is a special week for Radiant Church as my uh, good friend, Pastor Ranjit Abraham, all the way from India, is going to be with us. He'll be in the States for a few weeks, I believe. And then next week also, listen, we celebrate Radiant Church turning six years old. Come on, someone. That's amazing. What an awesome celebration it will be. God has been faithful to this house. Amen, church. Yes, it's been amazing. And listen, we're going to celebrate with some free ice cream for everyone. We're going to have some bouncy houses for the kids, so make sure you're here. We'll take a break, just one week break from our series, God Has a Name, but it will be a great Sunday to be here and invite some friends and family as well. Well, today, listen, we are in part number three, week number three of our message series entitled, God Has a Name, and this is a essentially a deep dive into two verses, Exodus 34, 6, and 7, and this is Exodus 34 is a part of Scripture where God reveals himself to Moses. And ultimately, God is revealing himself to all of us as well. God is revealing who he is, his character. And a very cool, fun fact about Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is that it's the most quoted uh, verses in Scripture by Scripture. So in other words, when the biblical writers wanted to describe the character of God, what would they do? Well, they would essentially quote Exodus 34, 6, and 7, or a form of it, or paraphrase it over and over and over. And we see that again and again in the Old Testament. And so here's what I want to do this morning. Let's just dive in. If you have a Bible, Exodus 34, 6, and 7, the words of the text will be behind me on the screen I would love for you to follow along with me as well. It says this, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet... He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. I I love this. I love how God says he's the compassionate and gracious God. If maybe this is your first week with us or maybe you're watching online or even later on you'll listen to this podcast for the very first time. I want to just catch you up briefly with where we're at in the series in week number one we talked about uh, the lord's name god's name he has a name and it's the lord but in hebrew it's yahweh and this is god's covenant name god has a name it means that he's personal 
And because of this, it means that he wants and he's pursuing, he desires a relationship with you and I. He wants to be in a relationship with you no matter where you've been, where you've come from. Listen, and you can access, access him today through, of course, his son, Jesus Christ, who has paved the way, who has made a way, who went to the cross on your behalf, on my behalf. We can be in relationship with God through his son, Jesus in week number two, we talked about this idea that God is the compassionate and gracious God. And that word compassionate means it's a, it's a feelings word in the Hebrew. It's, it's a word that illustrates, listen, how a mother feels for her infant child. It, it illustrates how God feels toward us. He feels this great compassion we also looked at the word gracious, and the word gracious is more of an action word. It shows how God not only feels, but he what? He moves into action to what? To, to show grace, to show mercy, to save, to rescue, to deliver. This is who our God is. He even provides for his people. He's gracious. He doesn't have to, but he does anyways. This is who our God is. And when we look at this description, compassionate and gracious, this is also telling us how we should what? Relate to one another. We should also be compassionate, gracious with one another. We learned this in the first two weeks of our message series. Today, I want us to spend all of our time looking at the phrase, slow to anger. Slow to anger. To anger. Now, if you haven't been here in a while or this is your first time, I want to give you the big picture, the big picture statement that covers sort of the entire message series, and it's this. God's name shows us who he is, how he relates to us, and therefore how we should relate to one another. God's name shows us who he is, how he relates to us, and therefore, how we are to relate to one another. And this big idea also helps us to form an outline for each of our messages. So today, we're going to learn who God is, how he relates to us. And then finally, we'll end our message today with how then are we supposed to relate to one another in relationship with one another. Another. Would you do me a favor? Would you posture yourself in a posture of prayer? Let's just take a moment to pray together, and then we're going to dive into the rest of our message. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in and through Radiant Church, Lord, that today, Lord, we just sense your presence, God, in uh, just a, a beautiful way, Lord. Lord, would you come and would you... Um, soften, hardened hearts. Would you come today, God? Would you unlock deaf ears? Lord, would you come today and open blind eyes? Would you come today and heal our hearts, we pray? Heal our broken hearts. Maybe the wounds that we've carried in today, God. I, I don't know what some of us have been through or walked through lately, but God, would you come and heal today? Heal hearts today in relationships, Lord. Lord, draw all men, women, and children to you, God. We thank you for it, and we anticipate uh, the beautiful work that you'll do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. I agree. You agree. Listen, it's going to be a great day. Listen, 
today, here's what I want to do. I want to um, open up by just kind of showing you all of my cards for the message. In other words, if you're already wondering, how do I take that phrase, slow to anger, how do I apply that truth to my heart? Well, here's how you can do it, and I'll begin and I'll end with this. It's a quote from James. It's James 1.19. Maybe you're familiar with it. James says this. You can go ahead and put that up. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I love how you can even hear echoes of Exodus 34, 6 and 7 there. Slow to anger, slow to become angry. Did you know this? That in the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, uh, the best synonym that we have for the phrase uh, slow to anger is the word patience. God is patient. That's what we learn. God is uh, patient. It's often uh, really it's interchangeable when it's translated like that in the Old Testament. You see, when it comes to our anger, or I'll just make this more specific, my anger, uh, so often my anger is rooted in impatience. Can any of you relate to that, right? Your anger is rooted in impatience. You, you're angry at your children. You become angry at your spouse. Maybe sometimes there's harsh tone, harsh words. Why? Because you're, you're losing your patience, right? And, and listen, I think that's... Most, if not all of us. And if that's you, I want you to lean in this morning because if I can be quite frank with you, I've discovered and the Lord has shown me that I become too quickly annoyed. I don't know about you. I just celebrated a birthday last week. I think the older I get, the more annoyed I get. <laughs> is that anyone in here? I don't know. Like the older, it's like I'm supposed to become more patient, you know, and I'm like getting more quickly annoyed with people, with my kids or sometimes my spouse. And I think that all of us can, if we're not careful, we naturally gravitate towards that. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you noticed like the world is just a much more angrier place? But God is what? Slow to anger. That's what the... the he says this about himself. God spoke it about himself. That's his attribute. That's who he is. He's, he's patient with you and I. I'm a knucklehead and so are you, I bet. And he's patient with me. He's patient with you, right? And maybe you're running back to the same sin. God says, I told you not to go there. He's still patient with you. This is what we see in the Bible. And listen, all of us know people that, well, they just know how to push our buttons, right? So I think this message is for all of us. God is patient with all of us. He's calling us to be patient with one another. I want to show you this phrase transliterated from the Hebrew into the English language. And it's this. Go ahead and put that slide up. Slow to anger is erek apayim. Can you say that? Erek apayim. Rek apayim, it literally means long of nostrils or long of nose. Literally, that's what it means. It's, it's kind of funny. I, I want to say a few things about this. Contrary to popular belief, there is no direct literal 
word-for-word -word translation of the Bible, okay? Why? Well, why isn't that? Why isn't that the case? Because in ancient Semitic languages like Hebrew or even, or even Kone Greek, so often there are multiple meanings for words. There's what you call a gloss. A gloss is usually known as there, there's a range of meanings of that particular word, okay? Now, it doesn't mean, let's not go this far, it doesn't mean that we can't understand the Bible or we don't know what it says. That's not true. That is not true. There was a, uh, I don't know if any of you follow Joe Rogan or you listen to his podcast. There was a video clip on him on YouTube, and Joe Rogan was talking about the Bible. And this one particular clip, Joe Rogan was saying, you know, yeah, how can we even understand it? Like, do we even know? It was translated right, and, 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 and it could mean multiple things. That's not true, though. Here's, here's the idea. There have been brilliant scholars who have done all the hard work for us. At the end of the day, in context, the context will reveal to us the meaning of a phrase, and there can only be one or two choices, and scholars will say, okay, based on context, it, it most likely means this. Now, there are a few passages in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, that are really difficult to translate, and they're really difficult to understand. There's just a handful of them, but that's not the majority of the Bible, okay? We can understand the Bible. We have good translations. We can trust, and in this instance, what we see is this. It's not a grand mystery, okay? It's not like a grand mystery. Oh, I, wonder, uh, I wish we could just understand the Old Testament, like the Hebrew. Who knows if we'll ever know? That's not the case. That's not the case, okay? In this instance here, this phrase, erechopayim, is what? It's patience or even long-suffering, but literally it can mean long of nostrils. Now, let me explain that. Have you ever noticed yourself uh, or in someone else that when you get angry or when you're ready to lash out at someone, what happens? Your, your nostrils flare out, right? You're like, right? My nostrils, see, they go out, they spread out, right? You're ready to lash out at someone. You're ready to tell that person off and your, your, your nostrils will, will flare out. What if, what if the opposite happens and you're under control? You take a deep breath. <sighs> And your nostrils elongate, and you're in control. I'm not going to get angry. I want to punch you, but I won't. Right? You're long of nostrils. God is like that. God is long of nostrils. So let me show you a couple times in Scripture where we see that. And here's what we're going to read. We're going to read patience. We're going to read, you're going to see this word patience. But it can also mean, of course, slow to anger, depending on your translation. Proverbs 14, verse 25, verse 29, excuse me, verse 29. Whoever is patient, erechopayim, has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Whoever is patient, it's that word, slow to anger in the ESV, it's translated that way. Go a little further into the Proverbs, and here's what we see. Proverbs 16, 32. Better is a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who can take a city. There it is again. Patient. Better is someone who's slow to anger, a wreck, a pium, than someone without any sort of self-control. 
control. So again, slow to anger, erect a poem. I want to illustrate where we're going today with this slide, and I'll show it to you. Go ahead and put that up there. And there's two sides to this statement that we read about today, and we're going to cover both of them. So I want you to notice how I say these, okay? First of all, God is slow to anger. Second one, and God is slow to anger. Let me repeat that. First one, God is slow to anger. Second one, and God is slow to anger. We're going to cover both of those today. He's slow to anger, but God does have a temper, and at times he gets very angry. We're going to look at both of these statements today. You may remember the movie Lincoln. It came out in 2012 starring Daniel Day-Lewis. In my opinion, he just knocks it out of the ballpark in this role. I saw the movie many years ago. It's just a phenomenal movie. And you might remember this powerful scene where Lincoln is around a table with his board members. And it, the context is Lincoln is trying to abolish the evil that is slavery. He wants to eradicate it to pass the 13th Amendment. And so his board members, his cabinet members begin to argue with one another and it sort of ratchets up, and before you know it, they're kind of yelling at one another. And all of a sudden, though, Lincoln, he's had enough. He, he can't take it anymore. So what does he do? He slams, boom, his hand on the table in a very sort of demonstrative way. And he says this, I can't listen to this anymore. You will get me the votes I need. And he goes off into the speech, and it's like epic. It's like, whoa. And for the cabinet members, there comes a hush that comes over them. And all of a sudden, they're leaned in to what Lincoln has to say. Why? Because this is very out of character for Abraham Lincoln. He was not a man characterized by anger. By anger. So he gets angry in this instance, and now they're leaning in. They're like, whoa, we've never seen that from the president. Oh, okay. Maybe we should listen. Maybe we should take note of what he has to say. And Lincoln makes his point very, very clear. Let me ask you this. Do you know someone like that? Do you know someone, do you have some, a friend, a family member in your life who they just never get angry? And for them to get angry, it would be like very out of character. You know what I mean? And if they did get angry, you would be like, whoa, okay, like something's up. Like she's upset. Or he's really mad, like, whoa, okay, I did not see that coming. Like, and you're like, there's a pause, and then all of a sudden you're listening, you're drawn in, like, okay, something's really got him upset. Like, we better take this seriously. We better lean in. You see, in that moment, Lincoln's anger was was on purpose. It was controlled. It was fitting. It was a healthy emotional response to that moment. And I understand, listen, this is an imperfect illustration because it's a movie. I get that part. And yet, listen, this is a picture of who God is. He's slow to anger, but he has an anger. He does get angry. He can get angry. And when he does, listen, 
It's fitting. God's anger is fitting. It's controlled. God's anger is what? It's an expression of his justice and his love of the world. It's an expression of his love for the world, his justice. You see, God doesn't have anger issues, okay? He's not like the gods of ancient Near East who are what? Who are capricious, who are ready to fly off the handle. That's not Yahweh. Yahweh is not just sort of roaming the earth looking who he can zap. Just like, like, who can I just take out today? That's not the character of who we read about in Scripture. Now, that's, that's what some people think he is. He's just ready to zap everybody, right? Because people have told me, I can't, I can't come to your church because if I do, I might get zapped. I'm like, I haven't seen it yet, but, I mean, you could prove me wrong. I don't know. Just saying I haven't seen it yet, right? And so, listen, this captures the phrase, God is slow to anger. Now, let me also add this. God is slow to anger. God does get mad. At times he gets very angry. And I want to just say this. God's wrath is real. Shows up in Scripture over 600 times. We read about the wrath of God or the anger of God. Like it's a real thing. I know that a lot of Christians don't like to talk about it, but we have to. Because it's part of his character. So let's show you that flip side. We talked about God is slow to anger. Let's look at the other side. God is slow to anger. Psalm 5, verses 5 and 6. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, liars. The bloodthirsty and deceitful, you, Lord, what? Detest. This is what the scripture says about who God is, right? Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord examines the righteous and the wicked. Those who love violence, he hates with a passion. Have you ever read that? Not only does he hate, which is already a strong word, it says he hates with a passion those who do violence. Those who are simply trying to hurt people on purpose through violent means. Those who are wicked. Those who are evil. Scripture tells us God hates those with a passion. Now I get it. Some of you are like, okay, wait a second. I'm confused because I thought, I thought God was a God of love. He is. Of course he's a God of love. But God does hate those who love violence, those who want to do harm to the innocent. Okay? Now some people have said to me, and maybe, maybe you've heard this, um, maybe you've said it. Some people have said, you know what, uh, here's the thing. <laughs> I could never follow a God of wrath. Mm-mm. Nope. I could know. You know what? I could never follow a God who gets angry. And here's my response. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you could. You don't want anything to do with a God who doesn't get angry. You don't want anything to do with a God who just sort of looks away from injustice. You don't want anything to do with a God who ignores the evils that are happening in this world. 
We want God's anger to burn on those whose heart is set on doing evil. Those who want to hurt innocent children. Those who take innocent lives and acts of violence. We want God to be angered by that abusive father or the abusive husband. God should be angered at the date rapist. God should be angered at the pedophile. God is angry at the sex trafficker. God is angry at the corrupt politician who lies to people. We want God to be angry. Why? Because it displays his love and his justice. Parents, if someone were to do or to take action to willfully, intentionally harm your son or your daughter, my guess is that you would become very, very angry. Am I right? If you did not become angry, I would think something's wrong with you. I would say this, do you not love your kids? Right? If you want, listen, if you want to make a parent mad, mess with their kids. Try to hurt their kids. If you want to get on the good side of a parent, bless their children. Bless their kids. We want a God who's also angry, right? There are many times when anger is the right, healthy, and it's the figuring response to a situation, okay? It's the figuring response to a situation. Last week, we talked about Jonah. Remember him, Jonah? God called Jonah. He's a minor prophet to go to Nineveh to preach to the Ninevites. Because why? Because Nineveh is going to be destroyed because the Ninevites are wicked, barbaric people. They skin people alive. They cut their heads off, and they make piles of them near the gate. We read that quote. They are a violent, wicked, barbaric people group. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, not interested. <laughs> I'll take another job, okay? No thanks, God. Well, eventually we know that he goes, of course, and he preaches to the Ninevites. Revival breaks out on the streets. Hundreds of thousands of them give their lives to the Lord. And the Lord relents from his act of violence. He doesn't wipe them all out. Let's fast forward, though, in history. 150 years after this, there's another minor prophet by the name of Nahum. Maybe you don't even know who he is. He's a somewhat of an obscure prophet. Nahum, though, listen, writes to the Ninevites, and there's a different picture that Nahum is writing about. God's anger, guess what, is about to boil over. And God is about to say, enough is enough. I'm done with you. Let me show you. Nahum chapter 1 in the Old Testament, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what it says. The Lord is jealous and an avenging God. Let me just remind you, actually, that by this time, 150 years later, the Ninevites have gone back to all of their violent ways, Okay. They are far from God. They're wicked once again. So now Nahum writes, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is, here it is, slow to anger but great in power. 
The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. What do you see here? It's Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Not exactly, but remember, it's paraphrased. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Now, the interesting thing about this passage and this whole story here is that you might think, okay, you know, God sends calamity and just kind of deals with the Ninevites, but that's not the case that actually takes place in Nahum or in history, actually. You know how the Ninevites are taken down? The Babylonian Empire. God allows, listen, the Babylonian Empire to come in and totally obliterate the Ninevites. God says, enough's enough. Enough violence, enough raping, enough killing innocent children, enough's enough. And what does he do? He takes his hands off because so often in the Scripture, God's violence is what we would say passive violence. It's where God releases his hand off of it. We see this in Romans chapter 1, Paul saying that he gave them over to their lusts, right, their obsessions, their sins. God is saying, okay, you want it your way? Have it your way. This is what happens. So the Babylonians come in, and they just totally obliterate Nineveh. Let me prove my point to you, and I want you to raise your hand. Have you ever met a Ninevite? No. Why? Because they're all done. God said, all right, you want it your way? I'm taking my hands off. And so the violence or the wrath in the Bible is very nuanced. And so often what we see in Scripture is that God's wrath is a passive wrath, okay? But there's also a future active wrath that's coming with the judgment when Jesus returns Right? He's slow. Peter, Peter talks about this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I believe it is. He's not, he's not slow to uh, understand your promises like some of you understand, but he's patient with you. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Okay? He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. But eventually what happens? Well, God's patience runs out. Right? It, it just runs out. God gets to a point where he says this, enough is enough. <laughs> That's it. Enough is enough. So we know the character of God here. We see he's both slow to anger and he's slow to anger. So now, how does God relate to us, okay? How does he relate to us? How does he relate to humanity? Let's look at that. I think one of the best ways that we can illustrate this is with Peter, actually. Um, Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He walked, he talked with Jesus. He saw all of his miracles um, up close and personal, okay? But let me remind you that at Jesus' most critical hour, what does Peter do? He denies Jesus not once, not twice, three times. Let me show you. Uh, Luke chapter 22, 54 through 62, words will be behind me, says this, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest and notice what it says. Peter followed at a distance. Peter's like, I don't, uh, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be with that. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the country yard or courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. 
But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Almost an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Notice verse number uh, 61. It says this, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine that, just in that moment? Like the Lord just turning and looking at Peter. And all of a sudden, the light bulb comes on for Peter. What does it say? It says this, Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Then Jesus just kind of turns around and looks at Peter. I wonder what that felt like. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, Oh, my gosh. I just denied my Lord. And, and maybe the look on Jesus' face was like, Peter, how, how could you? How could you, how could you do that? You were, you were my closest friend. Why would you betray me? I needed you. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been betrayed by a close friend? What if that happened to you? You were abandoned by someone in your greatest need. I mean, someone who was close to you. Uh, how would you feel? I mean, I'd feel hurt 100%, but you know how else I would feel? I'd, I'd feel angry. I'd be angry. How could you do that? I was counting on you. You said you were my friend. We've known each other for years. We've, we've got history with each other, right? You, you might become angry. I know that I would become angry. Now, fast forward. We know that Jesus, of course, goes to the cross. He dies for Peter's sins. He, he dies for our sins as well, right? Fast forward. Jesus is resurrected from the grave. He then begins to appear to his disciples. In um, John chapter 20, you remember this story where um, the disciples are in a room. The doors are locked because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders that are, you know, that are around. What does Jesus do? Jesus walks right through the door. He's like, hey, what's up, guys? They're like, whoa, okay, is that Jesus? And, you know, and, and Thomas is there, and Thomas is, the, you know, coined to Tom, doubting Thomas. I, I won't believe unless you show me the holes, you know, the, the wounds in your side and your hands. What does Jesus do? He's, he's incredibly gracious to him in that moment. Who's not in that room, though? Peter. Peter's not there. Why? <laughs> because Peter, listen, after he rejected, denied Jesus three times, he was so full of guilt and shame and condemnation that Peter's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I think I'm done. And he goes back to Galilee to become a fisherman. Yep, that was his trade. That was who he was. So he goes back to fishing. Now in John 21, what happens? Jesus finds Peter. Peter locks eyes with Jesus, jumps off the boat, comes swimming in the shore. There's Jesus making a fire. He's preparing a meal. The rest of the disciples come. And listen, this is the first time that Jesus, or rather that Peter, has seen Jesus since denying him three times. What happens? What is going on through Peter's mind? He might be wondering, oh, man, I don't know what Jesus is going to say. Like he may lose it on me. John 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, once for every time, Peter denied him. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So what do we see? What is Jesus' response to Peter who denies him in his greatest hour of need? He slowed to anger. He's merciful. He's merciful. God relates to us in this way. But on the flip side, I, I want to just also mention this. Remember, God is slow to anger. Remember in John chapter 2? John chapter 2, Jesus enters the temple, and what does he do? He flips over temple tables. He has a whip, and he's driving out the money collectors. Why? Because the priests were extorting the people of God. When people would travel two or three days' journey, and they would bring a little lamb to be sacrificed, the priests would say, you know what? That's sorry. That's not good enough. Well, what do you mean? This is the best I have. The priest would say, yeah, not good enough. But guess what? We have these pre-approved lambs over here, and for a price... You could have one of those lamps. Some people would travel further, maybe from Rome or, you know, Alexandria, and they would travel seven to eight days walking journey. Now, they couldn't carry a lamb that far into the journey, so they would bring money. And when they would approach the temple, the priest would say, oh, you know what? You need temple coins, though. Sorry. You got to exchange those. And you know the place where you get the, like, it's the worst for exchanging your money. Anybody know? It's the airport, usually, in a foreign country. And so essentially the priests are turning the temple into an airport currency exchange. And they're ripping off God's people. And God's people are literally trying to come and worship. And they're extorting them. They're lying and they're profiting by all of this. And what does Jesus do? comes in and he says, stop making my father's house into a marketplace. Slow to anger. I'm sure that Jesus saw this taking place in the temple since, since he was maybe age 12. All the way up through his young adult years into his later into his 30s. Finally, guess what? Jesus says, enough is enough. And he drives them out of the temple with a whip, and he loses it. And yet, still, it's controlled. It's on purpose. It's the fitting response for that circumstance. God is slow to anger. How do we then relate to one another? Well, let's go back to James 1.19. Here's what it says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is not a trick question. How many ears do we have? Two, okay. How many mouths do we have? Do you see the ratio? Two to one, right? 
there are two application points that I want to land this plane now that I think that we can make our own prayers as we think about what we've just read in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. The first application point is this. Pray for more patience and less anger. It's really simple. Pray for more patience and less anger. How many of you may need this prayer today? You just need more patience. And I know, you know, there's a stereotypical, well, don't pray for patience because then God will try your patience. Well, yeah, but no. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) pray for more patience and less anger because, again, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've noticed yourself becoming way too quick to become angry at your kids, at your your wife, your husband, you're like, honey! <laughs> it's the way you say it. It's, it's that harsh tone, right? right? The harsh words that you might use, and you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm getting just angrier and angrier. And it's like, oh. And so often, again, remember, what's, what others need is not our anger, but they need our mercy. <laughs> they need grace. Especially, I think, our kids so often. And yes, I believe in discipline, of course, 100%. Absolutely. But I've been asking the Lord, teach me when it's, teach me when my kids need me to be their merciful father and be a disciplinarian. And those two things are not opposed to one another. They're not. So pray for more patience this week. Less anger. The second application point, I believe, is this. Pray that you will get angry about the things that make God angry. You see, my anger is, all, is often rooted in pride. It's narcissistic. It's like, oh, you said that about me? What? Okay, well, I, right? That's, that's, that's most of our anger. It's like rooted in pride. It's self-centered. But God's anger, listen, is controlled. It's the right response to what? To injustice. Pray that we, as God's people, listen, would get angry at what angers God and that we would have the right response at the appropriate time. That we would get angry about injustices in our world. Sex trafficking, the murder of innocent children, slavery, oppression. We would have God's heart. That we wouldn't just be passive and some sense, but we would take action in the right time with the right response. I want to pray for that for all of us as we close this morning. Would you pray with me, church? Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for who have who you have revealed yourself to be in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, slow to anger, God. And yet, we know that you do have a temper and you do get angry and it's always controlled it's at the right time it's always in response to justice to injustice rather lord god we want to love like you love so god would you help us to this week to become slow to anger god slow to anger or that we wouldn't fly off the handle Lord, that we wouldn't take it out on our kids. Lord, that we wouldn't, our first response to our spouse wouldn't be yelling at them. 
wouldn't be an angry tone, wouldn't be harsh words, it wouldn't be a retaliation. Lord, would you help us to be more like who you are, slow to anger, God. And God, would you also help us at the same time to be angry about what makes you angry, Lord? The injustices that we see throughout our world, God, when people are taken advantage of and oppressed and abused, when children are acted violently upon, Lord, Lord, help us to be angry about those things, God, and that our response would be the right response in the appropriate manner, Lord, that we would know your heart and have your heart on issues, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we pray and we ask, God, that you would do this work in our hearts, for we cannot just do it through mere willpower, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, to dwell within us, soften our hearts, to come make us more like Jesus. This is our prayer. This is our plea this morning, God. Oh, Holy Spirit, come right now. Come, Lord, and do a work. Come and draw us near to you. God, if there's someone in here this morning, someone watching online who feels like, you know what? Jesus wants nothing to do with me. He's angry at me because I've lived my whole life apart from him. Lord, I pray right now that you draw that person near you. If that's you today, I want you. I want to pray with you. We want to pray with you this morning. Our prayer team wants to pray with you. We want you to receive Jesus Christ this morning. And we want to help you take your next step in your faith. Listen, to walk away from your sin, turn away from your rebellion, and to turn to Jesus. To repent, to come to Jesus. You are not too far from him. Peter denied him three times, rejected him in his face. And yet Jesus restored his purpose. Jesus called him back into the fold. He could do the same for you this morning. Come and do the work only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's clap our hands for Jesus this morning. He's our king.